we uh, got in late last night, and uh, I was afraid I was going to be a lot pretty jet lagged, but I got up this morning pretty excited. I'm like, man, I get to preach today. <laughs> Hopefully, pastor's not watching. Uh, you know, that's always a little nerve-wracking whenever pastor's away, and maybe he's watching via live stream and critiquing all of my homiletical errors, but uh, no. Go ahead and go to Psalm 36 this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning, the day after Christmas. Hope it was a great time for you and your family, and I know some people are still out right now, but we're praying for their safety as they come back this week. Psalm 36. Let's start reading in verse 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen, they have been cast down, and are not able to rise. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, Lord. Thank you for how the people have sung today. We pray that it would have bring, brought uh, honor and glory to you, Lord. We thank you for this time to worship you. Now, Lord, I pray that as your word is open, that uh, you would fill me with your spirit and that the words that I say would be the words that you'd want me to say, Lord. We thank you for the season of Christmas and we thank you for the coming new year. We pray that you would be with us now in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is The Great Comparison. The Great Comparison. If you're like me, you, uh, you don't like taking exams. Unless you're weird, right? Some of you people, you like to like take driving exams, you like to take uh, SATs, you like to take all kinds of different um, diagnostic tests. I don't like that. Um, and it's even worse when at the end of the exam you get to the final question and it is an essay question. The essay question would be bad enough if it's, if it's a certain type of essay question that says list and discuss certain attributes of such and so, right? But my least favorite essay question is when the essay question begins with the words, compare and contrast. And I just sit there going, okay, I'll be, I'll be sitting here for the next 30 minutes trying to figure out something to say to fill the space in that essay question. There are essay questions like this, compare and contrast, are, uh, there are all kinds of questions like this. There are things like medicines versus natural remedies. There's a uh, there's a compare and contrast Facebook and Twitter, the pros and cons of each. You can compare and contrast online learning versus in-person learning. You can compare and contrast renting a house versus owning a house, uh, going to college versus jumping into a trade. 
uh, even going to church and not going to church. You can compare and contrast. You can list the pros and the cons. And I think as we look at Psalm 36 this morning, it's as if David has answered the question, compare and contrast the wickedness of man and the perfection of God. And so I think there are three sections that this psalm can be broken down into that we can learn from this morning as we look to this psalm. First of all, we see the temporary happiness of the wicked. We look at verses uh, 1 through 4 here. He says, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes. You ever met somebody like that? They fear absolutely nobody, nothing under, under the sun, and nothing in the heavens as well. David certainly knew somebody like this. He, we don't know who he was thinking about when he wrote this, but certainly there was somebody in his mind that did not have the fear of God. The wicked flatters himself for concealing his sin. He says in verse number two, he says, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. Uh, in his book, Illustrations of Bible Truth, Harry Ironside writes about meeting a man after a gospel meeting. And he says, quote, are you saved, sir? The man replied that he was not, but he would like to be. Ironside asked him if he realized that he was a lost sinner. The man replied, well, I suppose I am, but I'm not what you would call a bad sinner. I am, I think, a rather good one. I always try to do the best I know. Especially around Christmas time, you, you think about, especially the children, you think about how good you're going to be maybe the, during the month of November and December so you can show your mom and dad how good you are gonna, uh, going to be so they can get you the presents that you want, right? This wasn't even the case in this wicked man's case. He flatters himself not for the right things, not for the things that he does right. He flatters himself because he conceals his sin. He flatters himself for all the wrong reasons. He's proud of the evil that he does. Uh, this is the kind of person who's proud of the way he's cheated people. Um, he's proud of the way he's deceived his spouse. He's proud of sowing division both among his physical family and his church family. This is a bad Dude, he flatters himself in all the wrong ways. But not only does he flatter himself from concealing his sin, he flatters himself and he gets worse when the wicked does not even try to cover it up anymore. Verse number uh, three. Uh, I'm sorry, verse, the latter part of verse number two, when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. This is a, a little bit of a confusing uh, translation here. I looked at a couple other ways that people have translated this. And the verse 2 might actually be better translated as he flatters himself in his own eyes when his iniquity is not discovered. In other words, when it's covered up. He flatters himself when he covers up the sin and nobody finds out. Or when it does get found out, he's proud of it. This is a serious, serious wicked person. <laughs> he has given up sneaking around. He has given up making sure nobody finds out. He expects people to just accept that this is who he has become, and he has a left off doing good, and he's fully committed to his sin. Look at verse number three. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He doesn't even try to do good anymore. He doesn't even try to put the facade up that he's doing anything altruistic or good or drop a coin or two into the Salvation Army's bucket. If, you, if you're thinking about that, you can't trust anything he says. In verse number three, he's constantly deceiving. Wickedness erupts from his mouth like lava from a volcano. Do you know anybody like that? 
Do you know somebody in the mirror that looks like that, perhaps? This reminds me of Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, when um, God looked at the earth, and Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's this guy. That's Psalm 36, verse 3. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. But not only has he flattered himself about his sin, not only has he uh, not even tried to conceal his sin anymore, he's proud of it, but also now sin is his way of life. Look at verse number four. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. When you lie in bed at night, you're getting ready to go to bed, you put the kids to bed, you're you've showered, you've washed up, brushed your teeth, and you're laying down, what are the last few thoughts that you have before you go to sleep? For some of us, it may be thinking about the day tomorrow. What do, what do I have to do? What work do I have to accomplish? What bills do I have to pay tomorrow? Um, do I have, to, I have to get up, take the kids to school? I got to do this and this and this. What does the wicked man do? When he lays down at night and he sleeps and he's starting to drowse off, he's thinking about what evil can I do tomorrow? Now, I don't think any of us really admit to ourselves that we do this kind of thing, right? But do we do this on occasion? Is there a sin in your heart that you think about? Is there a habit in your life that you, once it gets a hold of you and you start thinking about it, are you thinking about how you can best go about doing that the next time you get the chance? That's exactly what he's doing here. He devises wickedness on his bed and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He places himself in a situation where he ought not be. You can point your toes this way or you can point your toes this way. But if this way is sin and this way is Jesus, the wicked man looks to the left and to the right and he points his toes this way. He places himself in a situation that is not conducive for him to do right. The wicked flatters himself. He doesn't try to cover his sin. Sin is now his way of life. He has gone from merely accepting a sin to actively making it his life. No longer does he commit his sin on a whim, but he engages in the scheming, the planning, the execution of it fully in the sight of Almighty God. He lies awake at night thinking and planning how he can get away with his next sin. Whatever your besetting sin is today, let us examine ourselves this morning, church. What is it that you have got in your heart right now? Is there something that is that used to bother you but no longer bothers you? Is there something in your heart that you've accepted now that you just think to yourself, this is just the way I am now. God, God knows he will forgive me. Um, it'll end up happening again, but hey, I'll just apologize or I'll just say sorry, that's the way I am. It's just how I grew up. It's uh, just what I do now. Is there something in your life right now that is like that? Is that sin all you think about now? I don't know everybody in this room, but I'm sure that there are some people in here, perhaps more than we think, that may have this problem. We see, first, the temporary happiness of the wicked. But second of all, we see the eternal goodness of God. Verse number five says this, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. So David, he's writing this psalm, 
And if you imagine this compare and contrast essay question, David has just laid out everything that's wrong with the wicked. By the way, this, the, everything that he's laid out about the wicked, verse number one says that this is an oracle in his heart concerning the wicked. The word oracle is interesting because this gives the idea that this is something that he has viewed and now he's teaching himself. I, I wondered this week whether this was uh, a, a jealous or envious tone that David has, but the more I looked into it, no, it's, it's more the feeling that he is looking at the wicked and he's taking this lesson in for himself. And he's thinking to himself, I ought not be like that. But what else is there? What can I compare this wickedness to? And he goes on in verse number five and six, which, which we just read. And the first thing he does is turn his attention to the goodness of God. When you are focused on the wrong things, you get distracted from the goodness that God has shown you. There are four attributes that God has, that has shown us here that David's writing about. First, God's mercy is in the heavens. How many of you are thankful for God's mercy this morning? The word mercy here is, is also a synonym for the word loving kindness, which just means overflowing with goodness and, and love and kind of, basically what the word says, right? God is more merciful than you can ever imagine. He is more loving than you can imagine. When you sin, God is quick to forgive. Are we glad about that? When we most deserve punishment, are you, uh, are you glad about God's showing mercy over and over and over again? I sure am. Every day, we sin. Every day, I sin. None of us are perfect, but yet God shows mercy upon mercy upon mercy every single day. His mercy is in the heavens. And because I could just imagine David sitting out on a cliff somewhere and he's looking at the expanse of nature all around him. He sees the skies and he sees the ocean. He sees the, uh, the forest down below him. And he's comparing the attributes of God to all of these things that he sees in nature that are, that are not infinite, but they come close to representing the awe that he feels. His mercy is in the heavens. It is so high we can't attain to it. But secondly, God's faithfulness reaches the clouds, he says in verse number five, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. It doesn't just reach up as high as we can get it. God's faithfulness is not as, uh, as something that you cannot trust. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is coming through on your promises, right? It's keeping the commitments that you've made. Uh, man will fail, but God will always be faithful. This is a funny, funny thing. Last week uh, on December 17th, when, I'm thinking, when I start thinking about faithfulness, I just think back to last Friday. We were supposed to get on our airplane um, at the Jacksonville airport. We got there, uh, and we, we got through security. We got through the line, everything, put our shoes back on. You know, you know how it goes. We get to the gate, and the, uh, the, the, I get a text message on my phone that says, your flight has been delayed. I'm like, oh, good, great. At first, I, was, I wasn't really worried because we were there early, and and because it had been delayed for only about uh, 40 minutes, I thought, hey, we can, go have, um, we can go have a meal together. We can sit down. We can eat. Um, so we went and had a meal. Halfway through the meal, I get another text message. Your flight has been delayed again. Another 35 minutes or however long it was. I said, okay. I'm starting to get nervous now because we have a connecting flight in Fort Lauderdale with a two-and-a-half-hour layover. And so now we're, we're, we're getting pretty close. Uh, we only have maybe 45 minutes now to make the connecting flight. And so we finish our meal, we get to the gate, we look at the, the, the display, it says it's still delayed. I get a third text message. Your flight's been delayed again. <laughs> I was like, great. So we're sitting there, I'm talking to the, to the, um, the, gate, uh, 
the gate attendant. I'm trying not to lose my temper because, you know, I'm, I'm irritated now. I'm like, we're going to miss our flight. And the guy tells me, look, you're, you're going to miss your flight by 17 minutes in Fort Lauderdale. He said, but if something happens in Fort Lauderdale, there's a chance that you could make it. There's, I said, okay, well, what happens if we don't? He said, well, you're, you're going to be stuck in Fort Lauderdale for the night. I said, okay, let's take a chance. Let's go. Let's get on this plane right now as soon as it comes in and take off to Fort Lauderdale and hopefully we make our connecting flight all the way to California. And we get there, and as uh, Murphy's Law would have it, as we land the plane in Fort Lauderdale, the other one is taking off. <laughs> so we missed our flight. And so the airline put us up in a hotel, and everything was good, and, and, but we lost a day, you know, with our family. And it's just kind of those things that irritate you. When you think about faithfulness, you think, if I were to think about somebody being faithful, I would not think about the airlines at Jacksonville International Airport, right? When I think of faithfulness, I think about God. And David certainly thought about God's faithfulness reaching to the clouds. It's so huge. It's, it's infathomable. It, God experiences no delays. He has no cancellations. He does not take rain checks. He does not leave you hanging. God is faithful. And how many of you can testify to that this morning? God is faithful. But thirdly, God's righteousness is like Mountains. You look at uh, verse number six, your righteousness is like the great mountains. When you think of a mountain, what do you think of? Giant, expansive, vast, immovable. God cannot be corrupted, nor can he be tempted like man can be, as we see in James chapter one. He is pure, truly worthy of your worship, the only one deserving our worship. There is no other person or thing or object worthy of our worship than God. Man's need to worship is only truly fulfilled in the person of God. Man will fail. Your possessions will fail. Your children will fail. Whatever you're worshiping this morning, that is not God will fail you. What are you worshiping this morning? It's easy to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church and say that you're worshiping God and you've got your family here and... Everything looks fine and dandy, right? But what does it look like the rest of the week? Monday starts, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday morning, you think to yourself, great, what do I got to do today? I didn't get a good night's sleep on Sunday night. What are you worshiping Monday? It's easy to worship God on Sunday, but what or who are you worshiping throughout the week? Our worship this morning ought to be directed to none other than the righteous almighty God, and so ought it to be the rest of the week. His righteousness is like a mountain. But next, God's judgments are a great deep. This is an interesting one. Verse number six, your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. When you think of judgment, you think of justice. You think of God being the great judge. And we think that justice will be done all in God's time. We may look at the wicked and the oppressor and, and, <clears throat> and the wicked man right now and we think that God is letting them get away with it. His judgment are delayed. God is not, he's letting them do whatever they want. And we ask God, God, why do you let them win? Why do the evil men triumph? David has written several psalms about this. Why do we see today, why do we see human trafficking? Why do we see persecution? Why do we see murder? Why do we see mass shootings? Why do these things keep happening? Do you not see us, God? Do you not care for us? Do you not love us? 
Somebody once said that the wheels of God's judgment turn slowly. That's, I think, what David is saying here when he says, your judgments are a great deep. They're like the ocean. You cannot comprehend. We don't even know what lies at the bottom of most of our oceans today. And yet, David compares God's judgment, his justice, to the ocean. We cannot even fathom how great or wide or deep or how wise God is in his vengeance, in his justice, in his judgment. All he says to us is to trust him. Has somebody wronged you this morning? Has somebody wronged you over the weekend? Uh, Maybe Christmas didn't go so well for you this year. Something went wrong. Somebody somebody cheated you. Somebody told you. They, They promised you something and they didn't follow through on it. And you're wondering where the justice is. This shouldn't be happening to me, God. And that shouldn't be happening to that person. It, the roles should be reversed, God. Don't you see? I'm, I'm serving you. I'm the one that's in your house. I'm the one that's worshiping you. And what is this person doing? This person doesn't care about you. This person does not go to church. This person is, is not even uh, conscious of your presence, Lord. They're, they're so far gone. And God says, patience, judgment is coming to the wicked. Judgment is coming. Vengeance is mine and I will repay, saith the Lord. David is, he's got his eyes off of the wicked now and he's comparing and he's contrasting the wicked with God's goodness, God's mercy, his faithfulness, his righteousness, uh, his judgments. David is saying, look how big God is. His mercy is more than enough. His faithfulness is more than enough. His righteousness is more than enough. His judgments, his provision, his loving kindness, his pleasures, his life, his light is more than enough. God is more than ever you could want or need. So why would you ever want to turn back to your sin? David is now full 180. He's looking at God and thinking, God is so good to me. Somebody said that God is good not because he gives us answers, but because he gives us himself. We're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to know why the wicked triumph right now. We are not going to know why a loved one or a spouse dies. We do not know why certain things happen to us right now, but God is good not because of the circumstances that we're in, but because that he is with us through those circumstances that we're in. He gave us his son. He gave us his righteousness. He made us part of his family. He took that poor, wretched, lonely, homeless, derelict, perverse person that you are, and he elevated you higher than you ever deserved to be. He's given you a spot at his table. He's given you himself. And I think of that song that we sing so often, once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Would you take a moment this morning, the day after we celebrate Christ's birth, and we, can you just bask in God's goodness? Take your eyes off of what everybody else is doing, the evil men are doing, what somebody who has wronged you is doing, and focus your eyes this morning on the goodness of God. We see the temporary happiness of the wicked. We see the eternal goodness of God, but finally we see the loving provision for the saints. In verse number seven, he says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. In the very next psalm, in Psalm 37, 25, he says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. How many of you can testify to the fact that God has always provided for you? 
So we see that the saints' material needs are satisfied. We just celebrated Christmas uh, yesterday, and, uh, or most of you did. I celebrated on Friday, and probably I, like many of us, as we, our custom is, this week we probably overate a little bit, right? A little bit of dessert on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and uh, we probably had enough to eat. We probably had gifts that we could give our children. The fact that we were able to give gifts at all and not just the bare provisions of our just shows how blessed we are, how good God has been to us. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us are starving today. I don't think any of us lack any clothing today. I don't think any of us lack a roof over our head today. God doesn't promise extravagant material wealth to his children, but he does promise to provide for our needs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The saints' material needs are satisfied. I look, uh, I look throughout the crowd this morning, I just think story after story after story of people who needed something, and God came through for them. You know who you are, and the ones who have need of the most and have been provided the most are usually the most thankful. Focus on your material needs that have been satisfied this morning. But verse 9 and 10, <coughs> not only have the saints' material needs been satisfied, the saints' spiritual needs are satisfied. Verse number 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. John chapter 4 is the famous story of the woman at the well. In verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. We see that same word, this fountain of life. Verse number nine, for with you is the fountain of life. A fountain is not merely water that you can go and just drink from and wash your hands in. The word fountain here, especially back in the Bible times, suggests that this is a source. A fountain is a source of water. If you wanted pure drinking water, you wouldn't go to the lake or the pond or as far away from where the spring is. You would go straight to the spring if you could find it. You would go straight to the fountain. It's not just any spot. It is the very beginning. And so the closer you get to the water, the purer it is. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to find his light, his truth. God is the source of life, fulfillment of everything we would ever want or satisfy our soul. And if you're here this morning, take, just take a moment and think about this longing in your soul. Maybe you've got a longing in your soul that you haven't been able to fill. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you can think to your life this past year or even through the pandemic and you're thinking to yourself, all of these things that I thought would satisfy me, if we could just get back to normal, I would be happy again. For some of us, we truly have gotten back to normal. We're, we're back at work, we're back um, in the classroom, we're back doing everything that we used to do before the pandemic started. And yet, you, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I still don't feel fulfilled. Maybe you can identify with uh, the great theologian Keith Richards when they wrote, when I'm riding around the world and I'm doing this and I'm signing that and I'm trying to make some girl who tells me, baby, better come back maybe next week. Can't you see I'm on a losing streak? I can't get no satisfaction. Are you looking for satisfaction this morning in places where it won't satisfy? Where are you looking this morning? Are you looking to God? 
The reason you can't find any satisfaction is you're looking in all the wrong places. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can forgive your sins. And only Jesus can fulfill that longing in your heart. Stop looking this morning. If you need Jesus this morning, accept him as your savior. The saints' spiritual needs are satisfied. And finally, we see that the saints are guarded against pride and bitterness. We see in verse number 11, let not the foot of pride come against me. And let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. So David, is the picture is here. He's, he's looked at the wicked. He's looked at the attributes of God. And he's going back and forth. And he's deciding, which one am I going to focus on? And he cries out to God. And he says, let not the foot of pride come against me. Let not the hand of the wicked uh, come against me and drive me away. By keeping God's loving kindness and his righteousness close to our hearts, we will guard ourselves against pride and bitterness. The natural inclination of our hearts, each and every one of us here, is to look at people outside of us and compare ourselves to them. How happy this person is, how successful this person is, how wicked this person is, and how they can get away with it, and yet we cannot seem to get away with anything. Has pride or bitterness taken root in your heart because of this? Where the rubber meets the road, at your family gathering yesterday, perhaps, were you proud that you weren't like someone else in your family? Or maybe you're proud that your kids turned out better than theirs. They got a better career. They're doing better in school. You are in a higher tax bracket than your uncle or aunt or your brother and sister. Or maybe you avoided going to a family gathering yesterday because of someone that you knew would be there. And you're bitter against them. Something that they did decades ago. Something they said something they did to you, they did you wrong, maybe, they, maybe it was a business transaction with a family member and you've never gotten over that, and because of that, every other Christmas, when you know that they're going to be there, you just don't come, and you're bitter. David is screaming out to God, he says, let not the foot of pride come against me, let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. Have you let pride or bitterness take a hold in your heart this morning? The saints, their physical needs are cared for. Their spiritual needs are cared for. And by keeping God's loving kindness in your heart this morning, you can guard yourself against pride and bitterness. When Osvaldo Francisco moved with his family to Maine last year from Texas, this is in uh, 2020, he earned a degree in environmental science, and uh, he emigrated from Angola uh, a couple years ago. He was able to get his work visa. He now lives in New York. But all would be dashed away when he endured this hardship that I hope none of us ever have to face. His, his, his apartment complex where he was living in September of last year burned to the ground. And the cause was because somebody had deliberately set fire to the apartment building. A 70-year-old man lost his life that day because he jumped from the apartment building. And uh, where, where he and his family were living, they got out, they were all safe, but they watched as their apartment building burned to the ground there in New York in September. And he applied for certain jobs for the next three months, homeless, destitute. He was taken in by the Red Cross and he was given a place to live, but over and over again, he kept being turned away from job after job after job, and he did not have a house to live in, and 
prospective employers would email or call him, invite him to apply for open positions, and he would land the interviews, but he'd never hear back from them. How many of you can identify with that this morning? Francisco said he nearly lost faith when the fire broke out. September 11th, four-story, 10-unit, Blake Street apartment building. The building was damaged by the fire, it was evacuated, and we ended up homeless, Francisco said. But Francisco happens to be a Christian. And in this interview with the news station, they asked him, how do you, how do you keep going? How do you keep the faith when all of these things are happening to you, when somebody deliberately set fire to your apartment building that killed another person, left you and your family homeless, you're on the streets now looking for a job for months and you haven't been able to find, how do you still hold to the fact that God is good? And he said this, by prayer, he said, by living by it, by showing my faith with works, by continually seeking God first and letting everything else be added unto me by trusting him with all my life. I hope that is our attitude this morning. When everything around you seems to be falling apart, when things didn't go exactly the way you planned this week, when somebody did you wrong or something happened that you could not control and you're feeling bitter today, you're feeling prideful today, you're feeling desperate today, and you're thinking and you're looking at all the wickedness around you in the world and you're thinking to yourself, God, why don't you do something? Why do you let this happen to me? David gives us this great comparison in his psalm, and he says, you can look at the wicked, or you can look at the goodness of God. Which one are you going to dwell on this morning? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this psalm, Lord, this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. 